0: for Children's Church downstairs in the Fellowship Hall. So I was just, uh, we were worshiping. The, the image came to mind back in when I was, you know, playing basketball, baseball, uh, all the workouts, preparation for the seasons, for the games and stuff like that. The coaches would have always said these, these things leave everything out on the field, leave everything out on the court, whatever it was, that you didn't want to come to the end of a practice or an end of a game and have something left that you wanted to be completely spent because that meant you gave your all. You gave your all to that game, to that practice, whatever it was. And uh, it just occurred to me as we were worshiping uh, that we should not come out of a time of praise and worship with something left in the worship tank. (laughs) We should be, in a way, spent because we've poured out everything that we have in worship. And even if it, the song's not the song that resonates the most with us, to engage it to the best that we can and pour ourselves out. He poured the fullness of who he is, Jesus did, out for us, that we would pour ourselves out in worship. So may it just encourage us. That, that image came to mind, I believe, it was just... The Lord encouraging me with that and, and uh, just felt the need to share that, that we would be spent by the end of our times of worship because we poured ourselves out. All right. We're in this series on lifting up our low view of God. And this idea of the high, God is, is high and exalted and lifted up. And from the book, Knowledge, or, uh, knowledge of the Holy from A.W. Tozer, we're kind of following that as a, as a guide guide. Uh, to lead us in this series. He talks about the fact that a low view of God, that if we we see God uh, for less than He is, that that's where this lack of worship comes, this lack of passion. That's where... uh, idolatry flows out of the worship of other gods. we say, saying, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. That if we have a low view of God, we're going to worship other things. But if we have a high view of God, we're going to worship him. The casting down of the idols will be just the natural response because we'll see him more and more for who he is. And these other things will begin to pale in comparison. So the higher our view of God, the greater our worship. The greater our willingness to obey, the more we will pour ourselves out. It won't just be something that we should do in worship, but it will be the natural response because overwhelmed by him with a view of him in that way will overwhelm us. So today uh, we talk about the mystery of the Trinity. So when I was growing up, um, I loved reading the Hardy Boys Uh, So, you know, uh, the teenage boys would read the Hardy Boys and and the teenage girls would read Nancy Drew, right? They were like basically the same. It was just, you know, which one you're going to be drawn to more. And so I was drawn to the Hardy Boys. And the Hardy Boys were uh, about two teenage high school boys by the name of Frank and Joe, Frank and Joe Hardy. And every book... They were solving these mysteries and crimes that, for some reason, the, all the adults in their lives just couldn't figure out. And, and their dad, their dad in the town where they were living, Bayport, he, he was like the, the chief of police, the detective. And so there were times where he would say, guys, I can't figure this one out. Come and help me. And his teenage sons would rescue, you know, the chief of police. And other times they would just kind of stumble upon these mysteries These crimes that were taking place that no one could figure out. But the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Boys always stepped into the mystery. They never backed away from one. And they certainly never came away from one without solving it. The heroes, the Hardy Boys. Mystery, when we think about mystery, it can lead us to, I believe, one of two responses. Either... We can declare it a mystery and move on without looking into it. Now, can you imagine if the Hardy Boys were like, Yep, nope, not going to have anything to do with this one. That would be the most boring book you ever read. And it would be the shortest. So, that's one option. When we see something mysterious, something that we don't understand, we can be like, yeah, I don't get it. Oh, well. Or, we can lean into that mysterious thing to try to figure it out to the best that we can. And when it comes to our understanding and knowing God, last week we talked about him being incomprehensible. Not that we can't know him, but that he is infinite and we are finite. And so we will never be able to fully understand the vastness of who God is. There will always be more. We're like, there's more of him to know. And there will always be things that we're like, I don't fully get that. And the reason is because he is infinite We are finite. But what can happen sometimes is you can look at that and say, God is infinite and I don't get it. So, oh well, throw my hands up, walk away. I'll just take it by faith and never delve into it. And when we don't delve into it to know this infinite God the best that we can, we end up limited in our our understanding of him, our love for him, our worship of him. And that's where the, the low view of God can sometimes come is we can just say, ah, he's too much for me, so I'm not even going to try. But if we can lean in to those things that are above us and are more than we can comprehend, God has revealed himself to us. We talked about this last week. He's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in scripture. He's revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself. And he wants to give us greater revelation through all of those if we will lean in. And embrace the mystery and say, I'm gonna, I want to know the most of God that I can. I'm not going to throw my hands up and just settle for, eh, he's infinite and my, I'm finite. But to lean in the most that we can. And through things like worship and prayer and being in relationships and community with others, we can, we can come to deeper and deeper revelation of this infinite God who reveals himself to us, his finite creations. Now today's topic may be one of the most mysterious, the the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity. And so we want to be able to to lean lean into this mystery together and uh, look at three truths this morning that uh, Lord willing will help us to understand the mystery of the Trinity a little bit more. Sermon notes are in your bulletins. If you're a note taker, you can fill those in. If not, uh, still, the notes and the ideas will be up on the screen. So, three truths. The first truth is this. God is one, existing in three persons. God is one, existing in three persons. This idea of God is one it is throughout Scripture, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, there is what is called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, Orthodox Jews would, would recite this passage twice, usually in the morning and in the evening. And it begins, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Then it goes on, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we're to talk about it as we sit down and around the tables with our families, as we walk around, we're at these reminding tokens around us to remind us of God. To keep our view high. But it starts with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Judaism, and and we as Christians flow out of Judaism. Judaism, Christianity are what's called monotheistic religions. Monotheistic simply means the worship of one God. There are polytheistic religions where there are religions that have hundreds, sometimes thousands of gods that they will worship. But we believe that there is one God. However, the mystery of this is that this one God is also existing in three persons. One God who we believe is infinitely perfect, but existing in three persons. And so, though the scriptures never explicitly use this word Trinity, The concept and the description are all throughout the scriptures of God being one, but existing in three equal, distinct persons. So this is where in our our finiteness, this doesn't make sense. How can three be one and one be three? How does that work? But it's in scripture. And so I want to just show us a few examples of where we see this laid out in scripture. One instance is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's the Great Commission. It's what Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended into heaven. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And here's where we see the Trinity. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The three persons of the Trinity are Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Paul, in his benediction, in his blessing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three persons of the Trinity mentioned together. Even before these were mentioned in this way, all the way back in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, notice, he says, Let us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them roll over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the, creation, all the creatures that move along the ground. Even from the very beginning, there is this understanding of God as us. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in relationship together, the Trinity. At Jesus' baptism, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God. Here's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and lighting on him. Jesus is the one this is being done to. And a voice, the voice of the Father from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity active and present here at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus being baptized, the Spirit of God descending on him, and the Father speaking blessing and affirmation over his Son. We see the Trinity evidenced throughout Scripture. Three persons, but one God. If you would look with me also then in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, So if you're in the book of 1 John, go back uh, to the Gospel of John. So you might want to look for the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, then Mark as you make your way through the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 14. We see the Trinity at work and present here as well. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. This is Jesus... On the night that he was betrayed, giving these last instructions to his disciples, Jesus is the speaker, promising the coming of the Holy Spirit as he was about to, coming to the end of his time on earth, about to, in the next 40 days or so, 43 days, be ascending into heaven. Jesus promises the Spirit in verse 15. It says, And if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I... The Son, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. So, the Son, speaking, asking the Father to send another counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me any long, anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obey them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas said, Not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Jesus is talking just so naturally about the reality of who he is, the Father and the Spirit and in the obedience, showing the love that we have for Jesus as we obey his commands and he is going but the the Spirit will be sent, the counselor so that we will not be orphans but yet as we trust him and we obey and we love him, the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit all make their home in us. I mean, when you think about this, you see this totality of God at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all working and all present together. And then this crazy reality that he comes and makes his home in us. What wonder and what awe that is, isn't it? That the fullness of God, one God in three persons, would come and make his home in us. So God is one. And yet, yet, he exists in three distinct completely equal persons. To our human and finite minds, this is impossible because three doesn't make one and one doesn't make three. But yet, God, with God it is. He is the infinite one. Three persons in one. And he reveals himself in Scripture. Even when, like we can, we can understand it in, in concept, but even where it doesn't fully make logical sense, we believe that it's so because it's all throughout the scriptures. The Lord our God, He is one, He is infinitely perfect, and He lives and exists in three persons. Humanly, we may try to understand this. A number of examples have been given to understand what God is like as Trinity, such as we have those examples like an egg. You have the egg three parts to the egg in one hole, right? But the problem is the, the shell is like really, really small. And the egg whites about two thirds of the egg and the egg yolk is about a third. So you have these three parts in one, but they're not equal. So it kind of illustrates it, but it kind of doesn't. Then you have, sometimes people will talk about water. Water can exist in three forms, solid in ice, liquid, what we drink, and in its gaseous form. But yet water doesn't exist in those three all at the same time. So you see these three things, but they're not all coexisting at one, one time in the same way. One of my professors in seminary talked about the fact of like 75 cents, three quarters, So you have 75 cents. If you don't have those 75 cents, you don't have those three quarters, it ceases to be 75 cents. Each one is individual representative. But the problem is that each one is not fully representative of and valued at the whole. They're all like smaller representations. 25 and 25 and 25 make 75. And then there's the one where, you know, I as a person, I'm a a son of my parents. I'm a husband to my wife, and I'm a father to my kids. I have these three roles. However, I'm finite, so I can only really be exercising one of those at a time. And if you try to throw chewing gum into that at the same time, just throw it out the window. (laughs) So all of these, there's ways that we can understand, and we can look at it and say, ah, we see God is like, but they fall apart because he's infinite and we're finite. We can understand it to a degree. God is three in one. Acting at all times. Which brings us to the second truth. God is one existing in three persons. The second truth is God acts in harmonious unity. Tozer talks about this in the knowledge of the holy. That God acts in harmonious unity at all times. Where I can only usually exercise my my role as a son or a husband or a father one at a time, God in all three persons is always working and acting in harmonious unity all the time. I kind of think of it in football season, you have right on the goal line, you have sometimes the the need to try to punch it in for a a touchdown in the the play that a lot of times is used as the quarterback. And lately, I don't know, maybe I missed this for a long time, but lately it seems like it's been more than just the quarterback trying to run in. It's turned into a all-out scrum kind of play, where you have the offensive line, and they're pushing against the defense. And you have the quarterback, as soon as he gets the snap, he's diving in trying to trying to get the ball over the over the goal line for a touchdown and that used to be at least in my watching of football that's kind of where it was and then you had like the running backs kind of hanging around and you had the the wide receivers out to try to limit the amount of people that were there to be covered but now you have the running backs behind and then they snap the ball and the wide receivers if they're out there they kind of run behind and everybody just kind of pushes like I feel bad for the quarterback so you have these massive humanity, these linemen up front. And then you have this poor quarterback with the ball. Everyone's trying to kill him. And then you've got his own teammates coming behind, and they're like yanking at him and trying to push him forward. So he's just like pushing forward, getting yanked back, pushed forward. Poor guy. Now, when he's making $40 million, $40 million a year, you don't feel as bad for him. But it's like that. It's like the whole team. Working in harmonious unity to try to get that ball over the goal line. And God, even more, is always at work. Always working, functioning three persons together in perfect unity. We see it in a number of places in scripture, but I want to highlight four of them this morning. The first one will be on the screen, and then the rest of them I want us to look at in Scripture together. The first place where we see God acting in harmonious unity is in creation. We see God acting in harmonious unity in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God Was hovering over the water. So you have God the Father, you have the Spirit at work. Where's Jesus at? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, talking about the supremacy of Christ, helps us understand where Jesus was in all this. It says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him and for him. So you have God, in the beginning God created. You have the Spirit at work hovering over the waters of the deep. And then we find from Paul that Jesus, all things were created by him and through him and for him. And if we were to read more through that passage, it says that all things then are held together in him. God is always working in working and acting in unity. Another place that we see God acting in harmonious unity is in the incarnation. So if your finger's still in the the book of John, if you would go back just a few pages to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. This is the account of Jesus... In his incarnation, his coming, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to tell her that she would be carrying Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, says, The angel answered, after she said, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, God the Father, will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Do you see all three at work in the incarnation? You have Jesus as the one that we see. We see him coming. We see him at work on the earth in flesh, but the father, the most high overshadowed and the Holy Spirit coming upon. This is the mystery of the incarnation. All three persons of the Trinity working as one. If you're in Luke, if you want to go back to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we see God acting in harmonious unity in the atonement. The atonement is all about the covering over of sin through the shedding of blood in order to make us right with God. Sometimes this idea of atonement. We'll be, there'll be a play on words of uh, atonement allows us to be at one with God, at one with God. But atoning is God's system of shedding of blood so that sin could be atoned for, sin could be paid for, the price of death for sin would be paid for through the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we see God in harmonious unity at work when it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You see, it's there. All three persons of the Trinity in our salvation at work, harmoniously in unity together. Jesus offering his blood. The Holy Spirit at work, the eternal Spirit, cleansing our consciences, so that before a holy God we stand as innocent. And lastly, if you're in Hebrews, just to take a few pages towards the back to First Peter, you'll come to James next, and then First Peter. to First Peter, chapter one and verse two. We see the salvation of a believer described here in the work of all three persons here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. I'll begin uh, in reading uh, verse 1 first. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace to your be yours in abundance we see all three in our salvation at work, we see God the Father in his knowledge foreknowledge of us having chosen us. we see the sanctifying the making holy work of the Spirit, and we see the obedience of Jesus, his work on the cross, so that by his blood we are made clean all three. At work, God is one, but he's working in harmonious unity among all three persons of the Trinity to will and to act here on this earth. Just all this information. You may have read if you've been around scripture for a while, or if it's new to you, we see it all throughout. God in three persons exercising and acting for the purposes of God to be accomplished father son and holy spirit it's incredible really it's incredible to understand especially as we see the inability of our human being of us as human beings to act like this isn't it <laughs> all you have to do is look at politics today and see how often does anybody work in harmonious unity <laughs> But here is a picture of who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit completely on the same page. Working. Not one as superior and another as inferior. Not in competition with each other. All working for the purpose of God's will being accomplished. What wonder and awe comes when we see him in this way. We see him in this way. Which leads us to this last truth. In this mystery of the Trinity. And that is, we see, where we started in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, that God is love. God is love. If you're in 1 Peter, just we'll finish where we started in that reading. You're in 1 Peter just a few pages back to 1 John chapter 4. Reading again the first two verses, verses 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John writes that we should love one another. We should love one another because, as his people, love comes from him. He says that love is the distinguishing factor of one who is born of God and who knows God. And, and the original language, this is not like physical love. This is not like brotherly friendship love. This is agape love, which is the kind of love that is only from God, that is not from anything I can give out. Get out of this. This is my own choosing to give to you, completely separate from anything I'm going to return. This is God's pure love. It's it's an infinite kind of love that he allows us to share. And he says this kind of love comes from those who have been born of him. They've trusted Christ. They've had a, a salvation experience where the Spirit of God comes and makes us new, makes us born again. And it comes out of one who knows God. And that not loving is the sign of not being born of God. Because love comes from God because God is love. Now, I remember growing up in church. This was one of those things I knew all the time. God is love. But it wasn't until I began to understand, what is love really? And so when you break it down a little bit more, love for love to exist, love needs a giver and love needs a receiver. Or there isn't love. I may love you, but if you just reject me, has there been a love relationship there? No. Love needs to be given, and it needs to be received in order for there to say there truly is love. So the scriptures say, John says that love comes from God. But where does love, how does it come from God? Because He goes on to say, because God is love. How can you be love if love needs a giver and a receiver? And before time, before we were ever around, God has always been love. How could that be? Well, here's how. God is in a perfect love relationship within himself. So the father... Loves the Son and the Spirit. And the Son loves the Father in return and loves the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. There is this circular love relationship where all three persons of the Trinity are in absolute, perfect, unending, unified love. Not as one greater than another, but all equal with different parts to play within the Godhead. Love. Perfect love in relationship. So think of this. If God wasn't Trinity, he could not be love. The reality that he is three persons in one God enables there to be love here on this earth. If he was just one God, just the Father, love would have to come from somewhere else for him to love us. But he is love because one God in three persons in perfect love relationship together. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And the more we delve into, the more we just ponder and meditate on the fact that God is in perfect love relationship with himself the more we stand in awe of who he is. And then it makes verses 9 and 10 even that much more incredible. Verse 9, this is how God then showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he Loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Does God need us? No. God doesn't need us. He's in perfect love relationship with himself, He is perfectly self existent. He Glorifies himself just because of who he is. But he has chosen to create and to express his love in creation. To express his glory. To show us his power. To allow us to see and wonder who he is in creation. And then, when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, and before we go through all the stones at Adam and Eve, I'll be the first to say that if I was the first, I would have probably done it too. And I think all of us would have eventually said, yeah, I would be in the same place that Adam and Eve was. And so before we say, oh, God just needed to do this, we could just pause to say, God could have just said, well, scrap this, I'm starting over. But he didn't. In love, he sent his son. And Jesus, out of love for the father, because they're in perfect love relationship, Jesus the son comes. And the Spirit comes to empower him. And he goes to a horrific cross where the sin of the world and all of the isolation and all the brokenness and all the shame. We talked about we don't have to be ashamed because of the mercy of God. All the shame of our sin and our hiding and our brokenness was placed upon Jesus. And then in the moment of Jesus' death, he cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because as the sin of the world was placed on his perfect son, Jesus, the father had to look away. The father had to separate because sin was on the second person of the Trinity. And so for the only time in all of human history and in all of time and eternity, The Father and the Spirit were separated from the Son. This is how he showed his love for us. This is part of the weight of our sin. That the fullness of the Trinity and perfect relationship and perfect love would choose to separate for the only time in all of eternity so that the wrath of God, the punishment, the just punishment against sin could be poured out on the perfect, sinless second person of the Trinity, And he could experience physical death and he would descend to hell. But praise the Lord, it did not end there. The Father wills and the Spirit empowers and raises Jesus from the dead on the third day to pay the price, the penalty for our sin, that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, would become the atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is our God. And this is good news. Amen? This is extremely good news. That the infinite would do this for the finite. God, as one in three persons, acting in harmony in love to demonstrate His love and to redeem in love us back to Himself. This is only beginning to scratch the surface of who He is as the Trinity. But if it wasn't for Him in that way, our salvation would not be able to be paid for. If it wasn't for His work, our salvation would not be able to pay for And friends, today, we can ask the question, why is it so important to know God and to delve into the mystery of the Trinity? The reason it's so important is because the more we know Him as He is, one God in three persons, the more we understand His love, the more we understand His character, the more we understand the way He works, the more do we understand why we are to live in unity with one another because He is in unity within Himself. And the more we understand what it is to be loved by God. We understand the love of the Father more in sending His Son. We understand the love of the Son in obedience coming to pay this price. We understand the love of the Spirit hovering over and raising the Son. And so we can encounter the love of God in ways that we were intended to encounter Him as one God Existing in three persons. Oh, the depths of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his ways. May we lean in more and more. and May we say, God, I want to know you in the fullness of who you are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. I want to know this love in increasing measure. As Paul said, we would begin to know how high and how long and how deep and how wide is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May we know that love more and more. And may it lead us to places of worship where we would exalt the name of our God higher and higher as we stand in awe of him. So worship team would come. Let's just look to this God together and stand in awe and prayer. Of him together. Oh God. Father. Son and Holy Spirit. We come to you. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Father. We come to you not praying our own prayers. But praying the prayers of the spirit given to us. Through the son. To approach your throne of grace. Father. And we simply say how wonderful and amazing you are. Thank you for revealing yourself in this way as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. Thank you for the work of salvation. Thank you for the ways that you lavish your love on us. I pray, Father, that you would increase our vision of you not as we see you, but as you reveal yourself to us as one God in three persons, more and more. May you give us deeper and deeper revelation of who you are. And so, Father, as you would do this, may we also come to know you in the fullness of who you are. May we know your love in deeper and deeper ways. May we love you in return and may we love each other for you are love. Oh God, we stand in awe of you. We worship you. We exalt your name. Receive our praise as we sing in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we would exalt the name of our God together.